radio for the Agile community. www.agile.fm Welcome to another episode of Agile FM and today I have Jeff Watts from Great Britain on my show and Jeff is the author of three books, Scrum Mastery, From Good to Great Servant Leadership, Product Mastery, From Good to Great Product Ownership, and The Coach's Casebook. Uh, he's also the host, or one of the hosts, of the Agile Pubcast, so it's not a podcast, it's a pubcast because it's being recorded in pubs, and um, he seems to be a uh, beer aficionado because you also, uh, we'll get to that later, talks about story pints. <laughs> 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 Welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, you do make a lot of references uh, to beer. You're from Great Britain, so I hope, I guess, you enjoy a great pint here and there. Yes, it's uh, it's a part of our culture, I think. It's, yeah. Uh, nothing, nothing to excess. Everything in moderation. Everything in moderation, right? Um, so the the podcast, the Agile podcast. How did you guys come up with that? I think the the, the name is just absolutely fantastic. Um, which, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we Paul Paul came up with the idea of a, of a podcast. Mm. And um, I, I, I just wanted to make I thought a little bit more informal, really. And I think we we have our best chats when we're informal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just in my head, for whatever reason, probably incorrectly, I had the idea of being in a studio mm-hmm. for a podcast. But actually, if we were in a pub, then perhaps we'd be a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more free flowing. And mm-hmm. so we thought, well, why not? Yeah, why not? Okay. Absolutely. For everybody uh, interested in listening to any of those episodes, they're going to be available on uh, inspectandadapt.com and the references are there. And Jeff, your Twitter handle, just for everybody to get all that stuff out of the way, is Jeff C. Watts. So there is a yes. C There is a C in the middle, so for everybody to uh, find you there. Now, also start with a G, not a J, because a lot of the uh, a lot of people assume Jeff is spelled with a J. Absolutely, yes, and uh, I'll also have those links on the the show page of this particular podcast on Agile FM, uh, and all the links there. Um, so let's maybe focus on the Scrum Mastery book. Uh, you, you wrote those three books, but that particular book, uh, the Scrum Guide, was released the latest version in November two thousand seventeen, and maybe we just talk a little bit about. Uh, the mastery, um, and one of the things I noticed is that you offer advanced Scrum trainings. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think there is an uh, an upgrade necessary in the uh, in the industry? I, I like the title. Don't get me wrong, but uh, just uh, what's what's advanced? What do you? Uh, um, yeah, I mean the, the word does have a bit of baggage associated with it. I, I, I've done quite a bit of work in Scandinavia, and the work adva- the word advanced can put a lot of people off. But um, the idea being that it's just it's just more stuff, really. You know, and perhaps going deeper into things like facilitation skills, coaching skills, organisational change agency, those types of things. That uh, for people who've just been, you know, they've only had the opportunity to go to one training course, a CSM, uh, or something like that. We, we kind of scratch the surface out uh, and and really got to understanding what the role is. But then putting that that difficult role into practice can prove quite challenging in an organizational setting. Mm-hmm. So are people uh, attending advanced <clears throat> scrum training, are they already CSMs or do you see that as a, hey, this is a full package deal, we'll take you through the CSM and advance you in the same speed? Or is that people... Um, yeah. uh, so the, these, there's, there's two kind of uh, routes really, if you like, well not routes, but I guess two kind of uh, attendees. So because I'm a Scrum Alliance trainer, in order to get an advanced certified Scrum Master 
accreditation, you do need to have a CSM first. However, not everybody's interested in badges. And so for us, uh, when I say us, Paul Goddard and I, we, we run these courses together, we co-teach them. Um, it's more important for us for people to have the knowledge and the appetite rather than the badge. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> as long as you know, you've got a bit of experience as a scrum master, so you, you've got some, some pain, some stories to tell, some situations, some scenarios to explore, uh, and, a, and a few reference points, mm-hmm. then we can work with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that's that's a good point, right? What I wanted to ask you is maybe that's that's a connect between these two things is um, if you had to generalize, like this this book was written published like what was it three four years ago? Mm-hmm. Um, we had Scrum around for numerous years now at this point. Mm-hmm. What is it, seventeen? I guess somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, how do you and now with with your with your books about mastery? Do, how do you generalize, if you had to generalize the, the Scrum Master community, not necessarily Scrum, where do you think we are today, like on a scale from 1 to 10 in terms of possibilities and, and so forth? Um, it's, it's, it's a good question. It's a difficult one to answer because I think where we are right now, if we, if we were to look at a scale of 1 to 10, then I think we're in, we would have to bear in mind the boundaries of our current reality if that doesn't sound too meta but often we don't know what we don't know yet that's right so i'll I'll give you an example about this so you know in 2000 and let's say 2005 so um i was i was a scrum master and i was running scrum csm courses then the extent of the scrum master role wouldn't have included things like perhaps professional coaching it wouldn't necessarily have included um you know references to things like improv theater whereas that's quite quite normal now quite well understood uh, storytelling um, as a product owner thing has, has sort of come across uh, as much more of a, a well-established and well-accepted skill and trait so I think our understanding of the scrum master role now the skills and the the possibility of adding value is is bigger than it was mm. therefore the community itself has, has stepped up uh, so while it may be a, a six out of ten now it compared to what it was 10 years ago, mm. it's, it's, it's probably significantly higher, if that makes any kind of sense. Oh, absolutely. Right. So I did ask, like, just, um, just to make sure that we're on the same page here, what we know today, right? So where we are yeah. what, and what you see out there as, as an industry, somebody who observes the industry, somebody who sees a lot of people and meets people, sees clients. And uh, you wrote books, you have advanced sessions. And uh, basically, was, is there anything we can unlock? Uh, in terms of capabilities, is there anything an untapped territory we haven't seen? But six out of ten is pretty good. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, so at the moment, I'm not quite sure if there's anything untapped at the moment. I think it's about going deeper and and having the time and having the support mm-hmm. to go deeper. So facilitation is is quite a broad set of skills. Mm-hmm. And while we may well, as a, as a community, if we were to to, to use a broad brush be able to say that we're pretty good at facilitating the running of scrum ceremonies for example mm-hmm. we may well be as a community still have a lot of opportunity to tap into facilitation of um, let's say difficult conversations between two parties mm-hmm. without, um, without leading without uh, the, 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 the need or the, uh, the temptation to resort to or hierarchy or chain of command for example mm-hmm. I think that's that's something that we we see quite a lot of 
with with the scrum masters that, that we work with now and i work with quite a lot of these people on a one-to-one basis as well as group coaching and training yeah and developing that those those what well, often people often call soft skills which i'm not i'm not really a fan of but people often understand what we mean when we say soft skills the people skills mm-hmm. um is something that's now being really really well understood and accepted as a valuable value add service to add to a team yeah um, but a big part of that is self-awareness, self-reflection, and understanding yeah. yourself and how you impact the situation and, and how the situation impacts you and your ability to, to be neutral. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think in the early days of, of Scrum, there was probably a lot of mechanical routine kind of execution of, mm. the, uh, of the pattern. And I do think that coaching, people skills and so forth, uh, definitely made a positive impact on, on things. Now, you just got me uh, uh, very interested in one topic. Uh, I have not seen or actually experienced any kind of improv connection to Scrum. Fill me, okay. in. Fill me in. How do you see that included? So, so improv theatre, um, yeah. it's, it's something that we've, we've seen quite a lot. So the first analogy, <clears throat> if you like, that I heard, uh, or metaphor of, of collaboration, was the jazz band. So I remember when I was working back as a scrum master at BT and I was introduced to this idea of real collaboration, not just cooperation, but actual collaboration, taking something unexpected from a teammate, accepting it, working with it, building on it, giving it away, not holding on to it. And people told me about jazz where you know, these players, these these people with different different instruments, different skills, different things that they're bringing to the party will live and be comfortable in the not knowing about what's coming next. They're trusting the people around them to, 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 to add something, to contribute, and then work with it and build with it. And that, 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 I actually went and watched some jazz musicians and with, through the eyes of a scrum master and thinking, wow, that's, that's, that's amazing. That's, mm. that's, a, that's a great example of pure teamwork, if you like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so then I was introduced to improv theatre. In, in, in the first instance, improv comedy. And I do like going to a good comedy night uh, where the, a set of actors will be on stage and invite the audience to effectively create the conditions for, for a small play, a comic play. And so they may ask for characters, they may ask for locations, they may ask for styles of theatre, and whatever they're given, they run with. No script, no, no preparation, and they will, they will take that and think, this is great, I'm going to go with it. And whatever their, their, their other actors come up with, whatever lines they come up with, whatever actions they come up with, the default response for everybody else within that troupe is, that's inspired, that's brilliant, I'm going to accept that, mm-hmm. and I'm going to work on how I can make that better and play it back to the group. Mm-hmm. Have you have you ever seen improv being brought into companies to to do certain things uh, around the agile process to actually improve? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely, both directly and indirectly. Okay. So there's there's actual bringing into the concept of collaboration. Some of the main principles of living with uncertainty, living with ambiguity, trusting your team members, and actually building on building something up rather than knocking something down. Mm-hmm. Those, those kinds of general principles, um, but also. You know, some of the, the, the sort of more indirect aspects as well. Um, you know, how can this? How can how can we take an idea and, and let it evolve, let it emerge? So the idea of, of a user story, rather than being a, a completely tightly defined upfront requirement, have some kind of goal, like a, and, and the same for a sprint. Have a goal for the sprint and, and let 
let the actual good stuff emerge. Mm -hmm. Trust the process. Trust your colleagues. Um, and but also the uh, from a management perspective as well, getting comfortable with vulnerability. Um, effectively, the environments where agile approaches and Scrum specifically are more useful are the scenarios where there is significant uncertainty, there's significant change, mm -hmm. uh, there's complexity, the way we can't predict things. Mm -hmm. And in those situations, the ability to respond to unknowns, to try something and have the confidence to try something without the knowledge that it will definitely be successful, Mm. That kind of vulnerability takes a lot of courage, and improv can be a, a relatively safe way into experimenting with that vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Oh, very cool. I'm definitely going to um, look these things up, and maybe that is something I'm going to include beyond. I've seen it in conferences um, and so forth, right, but uh, not necessarily in actual teamwork. Now, I want to uh, put you uh, possibly here, um, uh, I hope not, yeah, on the spot here, <laughs> but. Um, the, the book Scrum Mastery, master is a very strong word, right? So yes. if you really look at Scrum Master, right, it's like mastering Scrum. Um, yeah. And um, the book you wrote is, is obviously, it's called Scrum Mastery from Good to Great yeah. Servant Leadership. Um, why don't we, and, and as I said, maybe we just take this as, a, as an example here. You have great examples. Um, why don't we just walk through the Scrum events and maybe there's like one little thing you, you could share with the listeners out there where you would say there's one little thing you could do in that particular Scrum event to, um, you know, go make a step, not necessarily going from good to great, but making a small step okay. towards great. How is that? All right, let's see how it goes. Okay, sprint planning. Sprint planning. Um, so one of the, it, it really, it's really quite painful sometimes to watch a really mechanical sprint planning session. It can be quite, it's quite common for me to, to, to see a team in a sprint planning meeting where one person is sitting at the computer, you know, driving the JIRA machine, if you like, mm -hmm. uh, and any tool, whatever it is. So one person is driving and everybody else is waiting for their turn to, to create their tasks and they get put into the machine. And they're sitting down, the energy is low, it's, it's mechanic, robotic, and people can't wait to get out of the meeting. So, <laughs> I, I don't know whether you've seen anything like oh that my, yourself. But I, I think I, everybody yeah, has seen this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, the, the best Scrum Masters that I see make those, make those sessions a lot more engaging. They're not, they're not concerned with have we got all the tasks planned out for this sprint and all estimated in hours and everybody's at 100% utilization or anything like that. They're focused on you know, tackling the, the, the meaty topics, making sure that we've looked at the interesting areas, the risks. We, we, they'll, they'll be sketching designs. They'll be grow, going off into small groups to, to look at how this might be tackled and where the dependencies might be. Mm -hmm. uh, and perhaps even you know, really, really quick, fast prototyping sessions within there mm -hmm. just, to, just to try something out. There'll be people with different perspectives in there. We might have a special guest, such as a subject matter expert, not just the product owner, who we can just get a little bit of life experience from how they, how, what, you know, what their pain points are. Mm -hmm. Those sorts of things make sprint planning sessions really engaging, enjoyable places people want to be rather awesome. than have to be. Well, these were several uh, tips here already in one answer. Fantastic. Sorry, I'm over-delivering. No. <laughs> No, and, and we want to we want to kick this off, right? This is this is awesome. I think with your picture, you were just painting in front of everybody here the the, the typical sprint planning and the, the machine and the typing, and the low wow. energy, right? What we can do about that? Fantastic. Why don't we move on to the next one? Daily Scrum. Uh, so the daily Scrum is an interesting one for me because it's on the one hand it's the most simple part of the process. Fifteen minutes, three questions, bang. Mm -hmm. But 
it's often the most misunderstood. Uh, so the, the the first thing that people, the, the the really good scrum masters, the first thing they do is they just clarify with everybody what the purpose of it is, who it's for, as in the development team. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that that um, having something, having the daily scrum in the afternoon is the right thing to do, but actually just looking at the assumptions we, we take, quite often we, we just go along with things because well, we don't even realise we're doing it. We have a we have a, a daily meeting. Well, let's have it first thing in the morning without questioning why. Right. And just shifting, shifting the time or the place, or even uh, dare I say it, the actual questions that we ask. Mm-hmm. But making that meeting more explicitly valuable to the development team, mm-hmm. um, just change the energy again. Yeah. No, I I agree, and I I've seen the same thing. Uh... Well, you know, being in the U.S., we often have them in the morning due to uh, distributed development uh, and just to be, you mm-hmm. know, considerate to, to other time zones. Um, but you are absolutely right that the first thing in the morning is typically not a good idea for um, for the daily. Yeah, yeah, people can't remember what they did yesterday until they've had their second cup of coffee, so... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, very good point. Sprint review. Uh, sprint review, I mean... Where depends where teams are in their sort of development and what, what where they are in their organisation, but for me, actually, this might sound strange, but actually, just having a sprint review mm. might be a really good thing because I say that because quite a lot of the places that I go in, they don't have sprint reviews; they have sprint demos mm. or they have sprint show and tells, mm. which to me implies one way: I'm going to demonstrate what I did this sprint. Or I'm going to show you what I did and tell you what I did, rather than we are going to review what we did. Mm-hmm. So having that multi-directional conversation and evaluation is where we should be inspecting and adapting the product and perhaps you know, the direction of the product right. uh, with a wider group of stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have a bi-directional review of the sprint, right? Um, very cool. Uh, definitely the, the focus on that name, that's a sprint review and not, um, and not a demo. Uh, retrospective. Retrospective. I was about to say everybody loves retrospectives, but that's not technically true. But everybody loves a good retrospective. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the first thing that I generally encourage Scrum Masters to do is to make sure that our retrospectives are balanced. Because the first, uh, well, for me at least, I'm pretty confident that, I, well, I've never seen a completely failed sprint. I've never seen a sprint that's been a complete disaster. There's always something positive that we can take out of it. Right. But equally, I've never seen a perfect sprint where we can never get better. So making sure that we, it's not its not a, oh, we were terrible, this is dreadful, or a, mm-hmm. yeah, aren't we amazing, everybody high fives all round. It, it should be, you know, a little bit of both, a little bit of humility, but also a little bit of self-appreciation as a team. So that's the first step. But then the ones that really set themselves apart, in my experience, are where teams actually drill down in a particular area and say, do you know what? Rather than just say, how did that sprint go? Mm-hmm. Let's let's get better at one thing, whether it's communication, collaboration, quality, whatever it is. Let's just focus on that area and get a little bit better at that. Mm-hmm. So a focused retrospective. Focus, retrospectives. Uh, very cool. Why? Uh, and and I think I think this was a wonderful walkthrough, and, and for for everybody who listens to that, and maybe being in the role of a scrum master or or development team member, right, to pick pick something up here 
and try something new. What do you think are common pitfalls for uh, Scrum Masters? What do you see? Uh, obviously, generalizing here again, but just what do you see typically being uh, possibly done wrong by, by Scrum Masters out there? Okay, so uh, yeah, it's a bit of a generalization. I, so I'd be hesitant to say wrong because um, it's, it's very difficult to, to say with certainty that something is right or wrong. Mm. But my general view, my general advice for Scrum Masters is when you've got the choice then between stepping into the situation or stepping out of the situation, my advice is to try and step out wherever possible. Mm-hmm. But people more often than not attempted to step in and solve a problem or answer a question or make a make a make a suggestion to to direct you know the closure of, of an event or to follow up on an action when actually stepping out and allowing other parties whether it be the developers or whether it be the product owner and the developers to actually resolve that situation together with the help and facilitation from the scrum master from the outside of that mm-hmm. dynamic mm-hmm. That would be probably the the, the, the one area that, that we can get a huge amount of benefit from, just being aware of our defaults and our tendencies. Mm-hmm. So I, I would second that. I would that just while you were talking, I was like just thinking. You know, the, you're absolutely dead on here with with one of the things is scrum masters feeling like in charge or taking charge of certain situations and trying to solve them on their own, uh, stepping a little bit outside of that boundary and doing it a little bit different. Is that, um, I mean, the word is often called like we want to be a servant leader, right? And mm. so is, servant is very passive, in, in my opinion, right? So um, serving and supporting and more like in the background. Is, is that something like Scrum Masters might not realize that they are the servant leaders, that they're feeling they're, there's a different role they're playing? Quite possibly, yeah. I think there is a, there is a huge... Um, there are a huge number of situations where there is a, a lack of clarity and understanding about what is expected of the Scrum mm-hmm. Master. Okay. Um, and so I was actually chatting with a group today about, it turned out that, that a lot of their, their challenges were due to mis, I'll say misalignment of understanding of roles. Mm-hmm. So, one, so for example, the product owner thought they were responsible for these things, but the development team thought they were responsible for other things. And, and vice versa. The scrum master thought they were responsible for these things, and the scrum and the development team thought they were responsible for something else. So, yeah, we can we can take the the scrum guide uh, as a starting point if we want. But for me, the most important thing is that the product owner, the development team, and the scrum master, and potentially other parties outside, have a have an explicit conversation about how are we going to to split the responsibilities across us. What do we do? We expect of one another. And what are we prepared to offer the other parties here so that we can all be successful? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, um, definitely. Um, I want to ask you something uh, totally unrelated to that or possibly related, but how do you feel about metrics and burndown charts? Metrics, um, metrics will, will change behavior, mm-hmm. whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I've yet come across a metric that hasn't had an unintended consequence on behavior. Um, Some can be useful, um, all can potentially be damaging, Uh, and I think some of that comes down to perceptions and trust in the purpose of the metrics. So if we believe a metric is positive and there isn't an ulterior motive, 
then it might be something that could be potentially inspiring and motivating. Mm. But if we believe that it has a secondary purpose or it's serving uh, a nefarious motive, even if it's not, if we believe it is, then it will it will at least encourage behavior to gain the system mm. and at worst demotivate and disengage. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the burn down shorts, like it just in, it's a, it's so a, it's a, shorts, I think can be useful. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I've definitely seen a lot of teams that get a lot of value from that. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's quite a visible and simple way of displaying our progress and teams and individuals like to know that they're making progress. If we're, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to think that we're on a hamster wheel going nowhere. We want to be able to see that we're making some progress. Mm-hmm. But to me, what I've seen as slightly more, um, more motivating for teams mm-hmm. is not just the direction of, of a burn-up chart rather than a burn-down chart. I, I, I know people do believe in the psychology of burning down over burning up. But for me, I see a lot of teams inspired by seeing how much value they're adding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so actual development effort points, story points, hours, ideal hours, whatever we whatever we're using, mm-hmm. seeing that come down to zero does have a certain amount of motivation. But actually seeing what value we're adding in quite a tangible way, generally in my experience, leads to greater motivation. So I know in in, in my book I talk about story points and, and, and Greg dollars and Jeff dollars and things mm-hmm. like that. But the idea of saying this, this user story is worth this, this amount of value to the organization. Mm-hmm. This story over here is worth this amount of value to the organization. And then as a team, we can start working out how we can maximize the value delivered in our sprints. And we get a feel, not just being able to see in the sprint review the actual progress, but we know how much value we're adding to the organization. Mm-hmm. And that kind of graph of you know, value delivered can be a huge thing for a team. I think so too, yeah. And I, I grew up with these charts. I mean, that was part of the early days uh, scrum guide, right? And uh, and uh, I do I do like them. And as, as a visualization, it's simple. And why not why not having them? And I think they have, if done right, positive impact. Now, the scrum master, um, as a as a servant leader, serves the development team among other things, but serving mm-hmm. the development team, but. What kind of advice or thoughts do you have around um, maybe a Scrum Master serving uh, a particular team member? Do you have any thoughts, like an individual on the team, somebody might need help or some, you know, skills or distribution or attitude or anything like that? What do you do? You, do you think that would be something a Scrum Master should be uh, focusing on as well? I think it's definitely a possibility. Um, I should probably declare my potential conflict of interest here. So as well as as well as uh, a previous scrum master and product owner and agile coach, I'm also uh, a, a business coach, a leadership coach mm-hmm. uh, at a personal and professional level. So um, I see the potential for a scrum master to be able to provide not just team coaching opportunities, but individual coaching opportunities. And whether they should or not is down to, again, that, that agreement of expectations and responsibilities so I, I i fully back esther derby's statement of we should never go around inflicting our help on people people should only if we if people request our help then then we then we're more than willing to offer it but we're not going to impose our help on anybody mm-hmm. and a, a servant leader who doesn't rely on authority can only rely on permission and invitation and i think that's the right thing mm-hmm. so a scrum master who who is there who has coaching skills and also doesn't have an ulterior motive i.e. they're not the line manager they 
they don't they're not the delivery manager they don't have delivery responsibility are seen then as neutral then they can provide a huge service to individuals and the team mm-hmm. in terms of self-reflection self-empowerment and uh, self-improvement mm-hmm. so you would say yes but by invitation only yes I would, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So last but not least, uh, we're coming to the end of this uh, podcast. There is a, um, I found some um, coaching cards, retrospective cards, etc. on your website, inspectandadapt.com. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just curious uh, for, for people what they, what they represent and uh, how would you like to see them effectively used in, in, uh, within teams? Okay, so um, yeah, this uh, how to say this without it sounding like I'm trying to sell products. The 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 idea behind the Scrum Master coaching cards, for example, is mm-hmm. um, you know you, quite often when you're in a, a Scrum Master position trying to help a team in a difficult situation, we might find ourselves tempted to step in and offer a solution, or we might think, well, how I don't know how to go about this. I'm not quite sure what to do. I'm not quite. The team seems stuck. I seem stuck. And so the idea is that. For, for a bit of inspiration, just take out one of those cards and generally speaking there's there's a question on there and that question might say for example, um, what is the team assuming about this situation that might not be true mm-hmm. or it might say, how could you go about making this situation worse mm-hmm. and it, it should just provoke a different train of thought, should, the idea is it will break us out of our current tunnel vision, mm-hmm. give us a different way of looking at the scenario which might spark something mm-hmm. and so that uh, the scrum master ones and again for product owners thinking about the product you know it might say uh, I'm trying to think of one now um, yeah if you're if you're if your development team if you if you assume a development team wanted to tell you something but didn't and you wouldn't wouldn't like it what would that be mm-hmm. just you know, if you if your users were to tell you two of your requirements in your product backlog were no longer needed which do you think they might be mm-hmm. Uh, just again, spark a couple of different trains of thought for people. For sure, yeah. So you would like to see them in, like the Scrum Mastercards, for example. They would be something for retrospectives, like you know, um, to pull in or doing day-to-day activities. Or where would you see? Yeah. I, so sometimes they can be used. Um, so I actually get uh, Scrum Master use, Scrum Masters to use the Scrum Master coaching cards when we're doing some uh, coaching skills training in the advanced class, for example. Mm-hmm. So getting. Scrum Master's used to, rather than solving problems or answering questions, asking questions. Mm -hmm. And if they can't think of a good question to ask, then maybe pull something like that out, just at random, and see where it takes them. I do have retrospective cards as well, so if if we're struggling to Mm -hmm. think of um, keeping our retrospectives fresh, for example, Mm -hmm. then we could potentially take out one of those cards and, right, let's see where where this takes us in our retrospective. Awesome. Well, I definitely invite everybody to visit that site and, and maybe pick up one of those uh, uh, decks. I always like those tools. I like tangible kind of uh, little products being thrown in as well. And uh, I do want to thank you. There was no beer here on this podcast, um, <laughs> but I hope you still enjoy the conversation as much as I did. And Yeah, um, well, next, next time I'm in New York, we'll have to do a podcast. We'll <laughs> do a podcast for sure. And uh, I hope most importantly that the listeners out there enjoyed the conversation of us as well. I want to say yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks for the invite. It was good to speak. Bye. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.